Well, if you and I were uh, to have the privilege of going golfing together, it wouldn't take you very long to figure out why my nickname is Shank. For those of you who are non-golfers like me, um, Shank is the inability to hit the ball down the fairway, straight and narrow. Um, I just have this propensity to just get off track almost every time I hit the ball. Now, there are times um, when people will invite me to go golfing just for their entertainment. I mean, I've, I've figured that out. And, uh, and, and there will be times, however, admittedly, I'll accidentally get back on track. I'll hit the ball straight, you know, but I eventually always go back to the shanking every time. Now, I got to tell you that if if shanking in golf were the only area of my life where I got off track, I'd be a pretty happy camper, in all honesty. But the reality is this, and the truth is, is that I have the tendency to get off track in several other areas of my life, even when it comes to my walk with God. Um, I think there's some reasons for this. I, I think, number one, it's just the, the propensity of my own selfishness the, the, the sin that just seems to permeate in my own heart and life will get me off track. A lot of times, I'll allow other people to influence me, and it, and it gets me off track. And then, sometimes it's just life. I mean, anybody that said life is easy really didn't know what was going on. Life is tough, and sometimes life just seems like it's just gravity, just weighing me down and, and holding me back. And if I'm really being honest... Sometimes getting off track is due to all those other people who are driving on my roads with the taxes that I pay with. Can I get an amen? When we were um, in Alabama several years ago, actually the first church that God allowed us to, to start and to plant, um, there was a lot of traffic one particular day, and I had my two-year-old daughter Autumn with me. She was in the car seat, and I just kind of blurted out, for no particular reason, that um, what are all these people doing on my roads? <laughs> I didn't think anything about it. And then about two or three weeks later, we're all in the car driving somewhere and we're going down the road and Autumn just, in her only the way that she could, she turned over and looked at me and she says, Daddy, is this road yours too? You know, <laughs> it's just like... <sighs> there are other times, however in my life, and maybe you can relate to this, that it seems as though every demon in hell has me on their to-do list. Anybody ever feel that way? I mean, I could be wrong, but I honestly think that they hold an annual let's mess with the J day. I mean, no kidding. Well, we're certainly not the only ones or the first ones who've ever dealt with this, this tendency of getting off track. One of Jesus' closest followers, Peter, had a knack for getting off track. In fact, on the very night that Jesus was arrested before he was crucified, Peter failed Jesus by denying him, by denying him that he even knew him. Not once, not twice, but three times. Jesus had predicted it, but Peter didn't believe it until it happened. It's interesting that Luke, in his gospel, gives us kind of an insight that the other gospel writers don't give. Is 
that in Luke chapter 22, he says that when Peter had denied him the third time, in Luke twenty-two sixty-one, he says that the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. I don't think Peter ever forgot that look. Several years had passed after Jesus had been crucified, buried, and then resurrected on the third day and ascended into heaven on the 40th day. Several decades actually had gone by. And there were a group of other Christ followers who were suffering greatly under the Emperor Nero, who were feeding them to the lions and being lit on fire for his entertainment. Suffice it to say, they were unsettled, to say the least. How could a loving God allow this to happen? It had to be on the forefront of their hearts and minds. Some, no doubt, were turning away from the faith. Others were just struggling to stay on track. And so, it was to that group of people that the Holy Spirit prompted the Apostle Peter to pen a letter. You know it as, you and I know it as 1 Peter. And in chapter 5, verses 5 through 11, Peter writes the following words to those group of Christ followers. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will Himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To Him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me? God, thank You so much for this day. This is the day that You have made. We are here and we have rejoiced. We are glad in it. Thank You for everyone who is here this morning. God, it's no accident any of us are here. I just pray, God, that you get me out of the way and that your spirit would be the one that could anoint me and anoint all of our ears, all of our eyes that we can hear, that we can see, anoint our hands that we can help and anoint our feet so that we can go, Father, wherever you tell us to go. And so may this message this morning be an encouragement, a challenge to help each of us get back on track or maybe help us stay on track. And all this we pray in Christ's name. And everyone said, Amen. Well, in this last chapter of 1 Peter, I think Peter lays out some life lessons that he learned in the trenches of following Christ. And so for our time this morning, I'd like to share with you just kind of four key insights um, uh, that, that Peter has on how to get back on track or how to stay on track. And the very first insight comes from verses 5 through 7. And you know the old saying, finish the sentence for me. God helps those who... Yeah. And you know what? 
we got that wrong. Because according to the Bible, Peter tells us God helps those who humble themselves. God helps those who humble him, themselves. This, this is his first key insight. If you really desire to stay on track or get back on track, it requires humility. Notice carefully what Peter says in verse 5. He says, all of you, older, younger, leaders, followers, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Why? Why would he say that? Notice what he says. Because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud. Pride. What? What is this thing called pride? And for the sake of time, I I would simply say that it, it works something like this. Pride says, I know better. Just like when I get on the roads and I start driving, I think I know better. I mean, if all these other people driving on my roads would just kind of follow my lead on this, man, we would have far less accidents, people would be peaceful, everything would just be great. I mean, I do. It's like, man, where do these people learn how to drive? Am I the only one that thinks that? Anybody else? Okay. All right. Thank you. Bless you. See that hand. Yeah. I'm convinced that it's too easy to get a driver's license these days, but maybe that's just me. That's pride. I think I know better. I've tried telling that to a couple of police officers who have stopped me and asked for my autograph a, a, a few times, and it seems like Kansas is one of the most popular places that wants my autograph. So, um, but I think I know better, but the reality is I don't. Not only does pride say that I know better, I know better than God. I got this, God. I'll, I'll do it my way. Um, because... I know you're busy saving the whales and, and all that so and, and helping teams win ball games. I got this. I think I know better. That's pride. Uh, Peter was a great example of this. When, when Jesus first met Peter, Jesus was giving a message. He was giving a sermon, and the crowds got so big. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it have been just so cool to hear Jesus' voice? Peter got to hear it. He was an eyewitness, and, and, and to hear Christ preach uh, people said this guy's different he speaks as one who has authority wow can you imagine that well on this particular day jesus is preaching and the crowds are gathering and so they get so big they were by the lake the the lake of galilee and so jesus gets into peter's boat and peter is there he's cleaning his nets from um, uh, an all-night fishing excursion. And so after the message, Jesus turns over to Peter and he says, Hey, Peter, he says, tell you what, cast your nets over on this other side. Now, Peter, I, I, I mean, you can just hear him saying this, can't you? You can just hear him saying, um, Jesus, I'm really thankful. I'm really glad that you got to use my boat for fishing because that's or for for doing doing your sermon i use it for fishing it's it's what i do for a living it's a family business that's been in the family for years and um and last night we caught nothing now that really interests me a little bit because all the fishermen that i know would never admit that you know i mean 
if, if that were me, I would have probably said, you know, I'm in this program with the Roman government, this catch and release thing. So we released them all last night. Well, Peter admits that they didn't catch anything. And then he says, you know, it's, it's almost like he's insinuating, I know better. I know my business. You keep to the sermon stuff and the sermonizing. I know better. But because you say so, I'll do it. And you know the rest of the story. He throws his nets and casts his nets where Jesus instructed him. And there were so many fish in the nets that the nets began to break. And notice what Peter does. If, if you have time, later, later read, read the story. Peter falls before Jesus and he says, Go away from me. I am a sinful man. And Jesus says, It's all right, Peter. From now on, you're going to learn to catch men. You see, Peter thought he knew better. He thought he knew better, and sometimes I think I know better. Sometimes I think I know better than God. Sometimes the pride that creeps up in my life is, not only do I think I know better, sometimes I think I am better than others. Have you ever felt that way? Um, one of my mission fields is, is the gym. I know you probably can't tell it, but um, I, I go to Planet Fitness because like everywhere I travel, there's usually a Planet Fitness there. You know, you go to Bucks, North, Missouri, there's a Planet Fitness there. I mean, it's kind of cool. And, uh, and it's really inexpensive, but you'll watch people work out sometimes and you look at them and you're thinking, they're going to kill themselves working out that way. And uh, if they'll just watch me, I mean, I know better. That's pride. That's pride. I may be right, but that's just pride. And the Bible says God opposes that. You know what I've realized? God's been opposing me a lot because of pride. And it gets me off track, and it'll get us off track every time. Humility is just the opposite. Humility says God knows better. God knows better. And I'm no better than anyone else. That's what humility says. Humility has this way of leveling the playing field, doesn't it? And so that's why God loves humility. Um, I, I heard a pastor one time talk about this, and he said, you know what we need more than ever is we need, we need more pastors who have humility. Because there are just so few of us now. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? If you want to stay on track, Peter's saying you need to be humble. God literally helps those who humble themselves. Notice what he says here that God responds to humility in this way. When we humble ourselves, he gives us grace. God gives grace to the humble. You know what grace is? Grace is unmerited favor. It's I love you no matter what. It's unconditional love. I don't know anybody that doesn't need that. That no matter what you've done, where you've been, what you've thought, how you've acted, I still love you. When we humble ourselves before God, He gives us grace. When in our pride we think, I got this. This is, this, is, this is no big deal. I got this. The Bible says God opposes us. But when we humble ourselves like Peter who says, I'm not even worthy. 
Jesus told the story one time about two guys who went up to pray. The first guy beat it, or the first guy um, basically prayed like this. He prayed himself, Jesus said. And he said, Lord, I thank you. I'm not like this guy right next to me here. Um, I tithe with my money. I give to the poor. And he kind of just went on and talked about how good he was. The guy next to him was a very poor person. And he wouldn't even look up into heaven. And he says, Lord, I'm not worthy. Um, I'm not worthy even to to look up at you. Um, And Jesus says, I tell you, that, that last guy, he went away right before God rather than the other guy. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You see, if you want to stay on track or get back on track, you need a yielded heart before God. If you are a small group leader, this is one of the things I'd love for you tonight or whenever you have your small group. Here's the question that I have for you. What does it take to have a yielded heart? That'd be a great question to talk in your group about tonight. Or maybe husbands and wives or friends, you can get together and you can talk about what does it mean to have a yielded heart? Peter says this, this is the first insight in his life. He's talking to this group who are unsettled and he's saying this is the first insight that you need to know. That if you want to get back on track, you want to stay on track You have to humble yourself before God. And notice the last thing he says about this. He says, cast your cares on God. Why? Because he cares for you. I'm reminded of the story when Peter was in the boat. All the disciples were in the boat and the waves and the wind just, I mean, they were going down. They were, they had that sinking feeling, literally. And they were going down and Jesus was asleep in the stern. And so they they literally have to wake him up. And the question they asked him is, Lord, don't you care? (laughs) Have you ever felt that way about God? Man, I have. It's like, God, don't you care? (laughs) Jesus gets up out of the boat and he speaks to the wind and the waves. And he says, peace be still, smooth as glass. And he can do the same thing in our lives. He says, cast your anxiety cast your cares on me because I really do care for you. You see, humility does that. Humility says, I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God for help. In fact, I'm convinced that that is the one, one of the most humble acts that a person can ever do in their life is to pray before God. God loves it. He gives grace to the humble. He lifts up those who humble themselves. Do you need a lift? Humble yourself before God. Cast your cares on Him. Well, there's a second insight that Peter gives us in this passage about getting back on track and staying on track. And it's simply this, that there really are some stranger things going on around us. Now, other than myself, how many other sinners are there in the room that have watched Stranger Things? Anybody admit it? Okay, all right, yeah. There really are, Peter says, some stranger things going on in this world. Notice what he says here. Be self-controlled and alert. I I love, actually, it literally means be sober-minded. And and, and it certainly could be talking about be sober, um, refrain from um, overindulging in certain beverages. (laughs) But I'm convinced that we can get intoxicated with other things too, don't you? We can get intoxicated with just about anything and, and it can knock us off track. 
It, it's happened to me and it happens to me all the time. So he says, be sober, be alert or be watchful. Why? Because your enemy, the person sitting right next to you, no, just kidding. <laughs> your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith. It's interesting because on one occasion, Jesus looked at Peter and he says, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. Don't you find that interesting? Why, why would Satan want to sift him like wheat? Well, it's because he was a follower of Christ. And he knew that Christ had plans for Peter. He was going to play a large role in the birth of the church. He was going to play a major role in even us being believers in Christ. And Satan wanted to take him out. Make no mistake about it, friends. Satan wants to take you and I out. What Peter was trying to tell us is that, look, disbelieve or disregard to your own detriment, but the reality is this, that there are entities in this world that we do not have the ability to see with our naked eye and with our human eye. There, there are entities in this world, both good and evil. First of all, there are angels in this world. Now, other than my wife, I don't know that I've ever met an angel before. Hi, hon. Hope you're listening. Um, you know what? The Bible says in Hebrews that many of us have actually met angels and we didn't even realize it. We were unaware of it. Um, I just wonder sometimes. I mean, I don't know that I ever have, but how cool is that? The Bible says that they're everywhere. Jesus told uh, Peter when, when Jesus was in the garden and they were arresting him. And, and Jesus, you know, got his sword out and he cuts this servant's ear off wanting to fight. And, and Jesus says, no, Peter, that's not my way. And he picks up the guy's ear and heals the guy. I mean, amazing. And he says, don't you realize I could call legions of angels to come and rescue me from this? But this is not my Father's will. And it's not my will, but His will is to be done. Angels are all around us, even though we can't see, see them. In 2 Kings 6, there's a story of the king of Aram who was fighting against the king of Israel. But God, every time the king of Aram, Aram would try to set up a trap for the, for the Israelite army and, and military... God would tell Elisha where they were going. And so Elisha would tell the king, don't go there. They're setting a trap for you. And it frustrated the king of Aram to no end. So they said, we're going after Elisha. We're going, and they did. And they found out where he was. And, and the whole army surrounded Elisha and his servant. And the servant was just like shaking in his sandals, you know? I mean, he was like very unsettled. It would be very unsettled. You, you ever been there where it just felt like Man, everything was just circling you and just caving in around you. Whew, boy, I've been there. I, I can't count the number of times that I've been there. And the servant was, 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 was shaking and unsettled. And, and he says, what are we going to do? And Elisha, you know what he did? He prayed. And he said, God, open his eyes that he can see. And when the servant opened his eyes, he looked around and all around, just countless, countless angels in chariots of fire. Too many that, that he couldn't literally count. And Elisha says, you see, there are more with us than there are 
with them. Friends, that's a reality. Now, you know, you've heard to say, hey, we all have guardian angels. I, I don't see that anywhere in scriptures, but I'll tell you this. There are angels, and, and the writer of Hebrews says that are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to the heirs of salvation, those who know Christ? They're helping us. They're doing battle for us. I don't understand all of that, but I believe the Bible says it. I believe it, and that settles it for me, okay? There are angels out there. Secondly, there are evil entities the Bible calls them devils. The Bible calls them demons. There's, there's one particular evil entity. His name is Satan. He's very real. But he has hordes, if you will, of minions doing his evil work in this world today. Throughout the Scriptures, we see them. Some scholars believe that, that they're the fallen angels that fell with Lucifer when they tried to rebel against God. Others say other things. We don't have time to go into it, but here's what I know. There are two equal and opposite errors that we can make about these demonic forces. And, that, and, and the first one is, is to give them too much credence. I mean, you know people like this? I mean, you know, they get athlete's foot and they're trying to cast out the demon of athlete's foot, you know? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I mean, they're just like, and, and some people, I mean, they blame the devil for everything in their life. And I think it's kind of a cop-out because they, then they don't have to take any responsibility for their own life. Well, it's just, it's just the devil, man. Just the devil. I'm old enough, and some of you, some of you will love this who are as old as me. Um, I'm 47 plus 10. And um, you'll, you'll appreciate this, but um, some of the, the, the old shows are coming back now on like over-the-air antennas. We're, we're cord cutters. By, any other cord cutters here this morning? God bless you. See that hand, yeah. Um, we, we just cord cut, and so we're doing like over-the-air antenna, and a lot of the old shows are coming on, and I happened to see the other day Flip Wilson. Anybody know who Flip Wilson was? Some of you Google Flip Wilson right now. You'll, you'll hear. And, and he used to dress up um, like this character, and he would, his, his line would always be, the devil made me do it all the time. I know people like that. They blame the devil for everything. Now, now here, l- l- let me set this straight. What the devil does, he sets traps for us. He sets traps in a way. And in fact, to fall into sin is where that term came from. He sets traps before us. You see, God loves us and has a wonderful plan for our life. The the, the enemy, Satan, this is what Peter's saying. He hates you. And he wants to kill you. He wants to steal from you. He wants to destroy you because you have God in you. And you're made in the image of God and he hates it. You have the very thing that he wanted all along. And if we're not careful, we give him too much credence. Because here's what the Bible tells me. Greater is the one who is in us than the one who is in the world. Martin Luther, the the great reformer, one particular evening, he he talked about uh, an evening when he just sensed this dark, evil presence in his bedroom. And so, you know, he flips his uh, candle on, or light, whatever they had in those days, and um, He looks at the foot of his bed and he sees this dark, hideous creature and he says, oh, it's only you. And he goes back to sleep. (laughs) You see, in reality, Christ in us is much greater than Satan and his minions out in this world. You know what they have? You know what their two big tools are? This This is free. I didn't give this in the first sermon. This is free. Worth the price of admission this morning, okay? His biggest tools are fear 
and discouragement. And he will lay traps to try to get us off track through fear and discouragement and intimidation all the time. You know, the other mistake that we can make about these evil entities and these stranger things that we can't see is to just completely disbelieve and think, well, this is the 21st century. We're talking about evil spirits? Come on. I mean, we're more sophisticated than that, aren't we? (laughs) Some of you right now are are thinking, at least this is where my mind goes, um, I'm thinking of the cowardly lion right now who's saying, I do believe in spooks. I do believe in spooks. I do, I do, I do. Anybody remember that? Okay, just humor me. I mean, just know someone that's uh, seen that, okay? All right, bless you. Um, They're real. They're very real. And if we disregard them, and, and, and we don't think they can do us harm, we do it to our own detriment. This is what Peter says. We need to resist them, standing firm in the faith. You can't fight them. You can't take... Regardless of all the great movies, the horror movies that you've seen, where they take on these you know, horrendous demonic figures and what have you, and they're the hero of the day. And you know, there used to be like a, a slayer or something like... What, what, what was her name? Um... Well, you can tell I watch a lot of television when I grew up. Buffy the, the vampire slayer. Way. She, man, she'd slay those demons. I'm sorry, it's not that way. Jesus has slayed the enemy already. And, and our faith in him is what thwarts him. Our faith in him is what makes him go away. James says it this way. Submit yourselves to God. That's humility. Resist the devil and he will flee. You don't have to flee. He will flee. James tells us this in James chapter 2. You believe there's one God? That's great. The devils also believe and they tremble. They tremble at Christ in you. Peter tells us, number one, if you're going to stay on track, you need to do this. God helps those who humble themselves. Secondly, there are some stranger things going on in this world today. And you and I, we need to resist in the faith. In fact, for maybe for your small group tonight, not only do to stay on track do you need a yielded heart, but if you want to stay on track or get back on track, you need to protect your heart. You need to protect your heart. What does that mean? That'd be a great question for you guys to to talk over and to investigate. There's a third insight that Peter gives us in First Peter five, kind of the second part of that verse where he says you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Now we said in the introduction that Peter was, was writing to people who were undergoing tremendous persecution. They were literally being killed. Entire families were being thrown into the arena where lions would just rip them apart. Some of them were being impaled and then, and then lit as lamps and lit on fire during um, Nero's... Uh, and indulgences just for sport. I mean, it was hideous what was happening, and they were wondering, are we next? And, and Peter says, look, your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. This is nothing new. And, and, and so here's the insight. You're right. Something's not right in this world. That occurred to me three or four days ago. I was thinking through this message and I was ironing my wrinkle-resistant shirt. And I thought, something is not right. 
Something's not right. Something doesn't feel right. And you know what doesn't feel right? Suffering. Suffering doesn't feel right to me. It feels like I, we, we shouldn't have to suffer. Pain doesn't feel right to me. It's like I, I get this sense that it was never meant to be this way. And certainly, death just, just doesn't fit, does it? I, I don't care how many funerals I go to, how many friends, family pass before I do, it never feels right to me. I feel like we were made for something much better. I feel like we were made for something more. And you know what? If you feel that way, you're right. We were made for something more. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. You see, this world is broken. This world and the people in it are fallen. All of us. Darkness and evil are on the increase like never before. You know why? They know their time is short. Worldwide catastrophes and disasters that Jesus predicted are commonplace right now. I got news for you, honey. Global warming ain't taking us down. It's something far worse. (laughs) Sickness and disease respect no one. If you and I think we're exempt from suffering from all these things and from living in this fallen world because we're followers of Christ, you got another thing coming. In fact, Jesus said, if you follow me, you're going to suffer. If you follow me, you're going to have to sacrifice. In fact, he told Peter and the disciples, he said, if you want to come after me, you have to deny yourself that's humility. Take up your cross. That's death to pride and sin. And follow me. That's the requirement. I I hear things like this all the time. I, I hear pastors today, I hear teachers today saying, you know, if you had enough faith, you would never suffer. There is a term for that in my vocabulary. It is B.S., How many of you know what BS is? Anybody? Right. Bologna sandwich, right? What were you thinking? (laughs) Jesus says, in fact, if you're going to come after me, he even told Peter. Remember he told Peter this. He said, Peter, when you were younger, you went whatever you want and pretty much did what you want. When you're older, somebody's going to take you where you don't want to go. Historians tell us that Peter was literally crucified himself and he asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't think he was worthy to be crucified like his savior you can mark it down if you are going to follow christ you're going to suffer you are going to suffer for it and if you don't think it's coming in america it's on its way but be of good cheer jesus said this in this world you'll have trouble but be of good cheer i have over come and you can take that to the bank so here's the thing if 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 you really want to get back on track and if you want to stay on track not only do you need a yielded heart not only do you need a a a heart that is protected but thirdly you need a broken heart May God break our hearts with the things 
that break his heart. Last but not least, the last insight, and I love this one. Peter tells us that in this world that we live in, we have a secret weapon. Notice what he says in verse 10. And the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will Himself restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To Him be power forever and ever. i got to tell you, here's, here's the secret. God grants mulligans. And, and for us non-golfers, there again, a mulligan, and, and the origin of this word came from literally a guy, by the, his last name was Mulligan. And um, as the story goes, back in the 1930s, this guy gets up on the first tee, takes a shot, and shanks it. Just, you know, I would be proud. And, um, and, and shanks the shot. And so he takes another ball just instinctively, puts it down on the tee, and his buddies ask him, what are you doing? And he says, I'm hitting a corrective shot. Now, it's called cheating where I'm from, but um, he, he's hitting a corrective. And they say, well, what's that? What do you call that? And he says, I call it a mulligan. And there you have the rest of the story. A second shot. You know what? God specializes in mulligans. I know some of you think, no way, no way. Um, in the 1930s, there was a composium on religion, on world religions, and, and all of the theologians were arguing on what made Christianity distinct from all the other religions, from, from the Hindu, from, from Hinduism, and from Buddhism, and um, from Islam. What made Christianity so distinct? And they, they were arguing, and C.S. Lewis happens to walk in, and he says, what's all the ruckus about? And, and they asked him, he said, well, we're, you know, we're trying to figure out what makes Christianity um, so special. And he simply said this, oh, that's easy. It's grace. It's grace. And they're like, yeah. You see, no other religion is based on unconditional love. No other religion, all the other religions, and, and I, I've explained it this way, whenever I've been on flights or I'm in the gym, um, people ask me, give, give it just give me the short version. What's it all about? And this is what I give them. I just say, you know, religion are all the things that we try to do to make ourselves presentable before God. Christianity is what Christ has already done for us to make us presentable before God. Isn't that so true? You see, He is the God of all grace. When Jesus looked at Peter that day when He was arrested, let me tell you something. It was not a look of judgment. It was not a look of shame or indignation. It wasn't even a look of, I told you so, Peter. You know what it was? It was a look of grace. Notice what Peter tells us. After you've suffered a while, here's what God is going to do. This is what grace does for us. He himself will restore you, make you whole. And he will make you strong. I don't know about you, but I always pray to get out of things. God, get me out of this. Get me out of this. Get me out of this. And yet God says, most of the time, he says, no, but I will get you through it because there are things that I need to form in you through this. I will make you strong, firm, 
and steadfast. You see, if God is all seen, as the Bible tells us, and I believe He is, then He sees us here today, doesn't He? Nothing escapes God's sight. In fact, just as He looked at Peter that day, He's looking at you and I today. He's seen it all. That's pretty embarrassing for me, I have to admit. Some things that I'm not very proud of. But He looks at us today, and I hope you can believe this. He really is the God of all grace. And the way He's looking at you today is not in a judgmental way. It's not in a shameful way. It's in a graceful way. And I think He would tell all of us this morning, I want to fill you with with grace. Because you know what grace does? It gives us courage. It makes us brave. That's what grace does. It makes us brave. It's why Paul told Peter, or excuse me, Paul told Timothy, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Some of you, in order to get back on track, or to stay on track, you need God's grace to make you brave before you walk out of this place today. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. As our worship team plays, I want you to just go before God and just recognize He's looking at you right now. What's your response? Tell Him your response as He sees you and looks at you right now.